0: The Old Testament reading is taken from Genesis, chapter 9, verse 8, and finishing with 17. Found on page 10 of your Bibles. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth.
1: A reading from the first letter of Peter. Hear God's Word. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body of but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe in God, one of the hardest questions is why is there so much suffering in the world? If you're on the IPC prayer chain, you regularly receive requests to lift up people in need of intercession. And each of those names carries with it a story of pain or loss or worry why is it in a world that has more than enough for everyone, the rich get richer and the poor fall further behind? If there truly is justice in the world, how can someone like Bashir al-Assad get away with slaughtering people in Syria who want nothing more than their basic human rights? How can... Innocent teenagers be gunned down in yet another school shooting in the United States. Those are the same questions that face the people whom Peter was writing in the letter that we just read. Those early Christians had heard the story of Jesus, whom God sent to bring in a whole new creation where strength is shown by turning the other cheek, honor gained by serving the poor, and success measured by doing to others as you would have them do to you. They had given their lives to Jesus, but in return they were being rejected by family and friends. Some were being persecuted for what they believed People who gave their lives to Jesus were still getting cancer. They were still losing their jobs. They still had to commit someone they loved to the grave. So Peter reminded them of the story of Noah and the promise God made after the flood. God promised that no matter how bad things got, God would not allow suffering and death to overwhelm the people God loves. To understand the story, you have to understand how people in biblical times conceived the world in those days before there were telescopes and astrophysics and all the scientific tools we have now that help us see more than what the naked eye can perceive. They believed, as we do, that God created the world, and they conveyed that truth in a way they could understand. It. In those days, before we knew anything about outer space or Newton's laws, when people looked up and saw water falling from the sky, and when they looked down at the sea covering the earth, they concluded that the earth is a dry refuge surrounded on all sides by water. God created the world by shaping it out of that watery chaos. Now, modern physics would say that the world was created out of the Big Bang, but either way, order was formed out of nothing. In the ancient understanding... Up above, there is the firmament, or the sky, which is like a giant dome to hold back that primordial water. Not that different, in essence, from our understanding of the atmosphere, which holds back ravaging gamma rays and the vacuum of interstellar space. Every once in a while, that firmament opens up just enough to let some of that water come down and nourish the earth. The watery chaos is also below. The lakes and the oceans and the rivers are where the water underneath comes up to the surface. God maintains that delicate balance of of the waters and so preserves life on earth. Now now we know that God's delicate balance is even more complex. It involves gravity and cosmic energy, black holes and quarks. But all we've learned about the science of creation does not contradict the message of Genesis. In fact, the more we know about how God created the world the more astounding it is that it was all made by this loving God in ways that scientists are only beginning to discover. What happened at the flood was that God got so angry with human beings that God let that watery chaos reclaim the creation. The story says that the fountains of the great deep burst forth from below and the waters of the firmament were opened from above. Now that is not just a strong low pressure system. That's the whole order of creation being reversed. The chaos that God had tamed by pushing back the waters was unleashed. Everything was washed away. After the waters receded and the earth dried out, God started all over. Noah left the ark and God made a promise that such a cataclysm would never happen again. To seal that promise, God put a bow, as in a bow and arrow, in the sky. Now a bow is a symbol of war and violence. God, the mighty warrior, was hanging up his bow. It's empty. There are no arrows to load it. Those powers of chaos will never again destroy us. Now, our modern view of physics and geology might be different from the worldview of the ancients, There is some geological evidence of a great flood that happened eons ago, and many of the world's religions have similar stories. People of faith can disagree about whether or not to take the story literally. There's a theme park in America with a life-sized art dedicated to showing that the story of Noah proves that the world is a mere 6,000 years old. But whether you take the story literally or as metaphor, the truth is the same. That God has made a promise to restrain the powers that overwhelm us. Sometimes those powers of chaos seep through our ordered lives and threaten to undo us. That's how it can feel when you get the lab report that some cells in your body have jumped the bounds of normal growth, have become cancerous, and started feeding on themselves. That's what it's like for parents who hear a knock at the door and open it to find two uniformed officers to tell them their son was killed in a war. That's what we see when a country like Yemen descends into chaos without a functioning government and is left to the mercy of pirates and terrorists. We know what it's like when those powers that destroyed the earth in Noah's time try to take over our lives. Those are powers and forces that science cannot explain. And sooner or later, they're coming after us. Death and evil and suffering are still trying to define us, to draw us down into despair and pain. They they are the same forces of destruction that God gave free reign in the story of the flood. Forces that are out to destroy us and return all creation to chaos. That's what the early Christians were feeling when Peter wrote to them. How were they to keep their faith when their world was coming apart? Peter reminded them that Jesus took the brunt of all that creative, chaotic power on himself, on our behalf. The one that sent from God took all the hatred, resentment, greed, and violence on himself. There on the cross, those same powers that were unleashed at the time of Noah were unleashed again, not in a flood of water this time, but in a flood of violence and pain and rejection. On the cross, Jesus took it full force. And having borne the brunt of that chaos... God raised him to life. God brought Jesus through the waters of death and raised him into heaven, where he is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers made subject to him. And then God set the rainbow in the sky to remind himself that he would never again unleash that kind of destructive power on the earth. It was a sign of God's covenant with all living creatures that God would deliver them from the ultimate destruction that threatens our existence. That water, that same element that destroyed all living things except those eight on the ark, when it came rushing in torrents, was now dispersed into the atmosphere and transfused with lights to form the colors of the rainbow. And it's that same water that has given us life in our baptism. That same water where Jesus grabs us up out of the chaos that threatens us and hauls us onto the ark, his church, and unites us with him so that we share his death to sin and his resurrection to life. A while back, I met Brandon. He's the custodian at Central Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. My son, Bill, had recently joined the church, and I was in town for a visit. Having known me all his life, Bill's learned to indulge his mother and me when we want to check out a church and see how other Christians are doing it. Well, we were making our way around the outside of the church, checking all the doors to find one that was open so we could get in. Brandon saw us and let us in. And then he offered to give me a tour. But first, as we stood in the dimly lit sanctuary, he told me a little bit about himself. A lot of people don't like to use the word, he said, but I'm born again. And then he went on to tell me that he's a veteran of the Vietnam War. He used to belong to a motorcycle gang. He spent eight months of his life homeless. Three years before, as he was getting his life back together, he joined that church and his life was transformed. And he's so grateful for what that community of believers did for him that he gives his time to to them for free. His physical needs are all met by Social Security. So he's there at the church 60 hours a week, opening and closing for events, setting things up, and keeping it clean and in good repair. As we stood in the sanctuary, he described in great detail the congregation that he loves. One thing I love about this church, he said, is that everybody is welcome. We have some high society types, and we have people from off the street. We welcome gays and lesbians because God loves them just like everybody else. And then he took me into the rooms that are used during the week to resettle refugees. He showed me the room where the Burmese congregation worships on Sundays. We went through the area where for a week, every month, the church hosts three homeless families. We stopped by the youth lounge where teenagers find a safe place to hang out on Sunday afternoon with caring adults who respect their questions. We went outside and spoke to some of the homeless men who had wandered up from the Salvation Army shelter down the street. Brandon considers them his flock. That very morning, he was using the church dryer to dry the bedding of a homeless man who had been caught out in the rain the night before. As we finished our tour, I realized that we had not been touring a church facility so much as we were seeing an ark. Jesus had pulled Brandon up out of the pit and given him new life as if he'd been drowning in a watery chaos, and Jesus hauled him up on board. Those homeless men who hung around outside were clinging to the outside of the ark as it plowed its way through the waters, hanging on for dear life to keep from getting overwhelmed by the raging waters all around them. That's what the church, the body of Christ, the collection of believers is supposed to be. We are the place where God preserves those God has chosen as his own. Except this ark, unlike the one Noah built, does not have the doors bolted shut so nobody else can get in. On the cross, God threw open the doors of the ark. 1 Peter tells us that Jesus has gone to make proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient while Moses built that ark, where they were not welcome. The new ark, this refuge from the forces of destruction, is open and welcomes into the new covenant that God has made through his Son. Last week, the newly elected elders attended the meeting of the church council. As a way of introduction, each person was asked to say why they have become part of IPC. More than once, someone said that IPC is like a little bit of heaven. That's what God intends the church to be the place where everyone who seeks refuge from the crushing forces that drain us of hope and of life is welcome. The chaos still rages around us, but it will not do us in. God has made all those powers subject to Jesus, and he reigns in triumphant glory God has rebooted creation. And God reboots us. In Jesus Christ, God promises that we will weather the storm. And God does not forget that promise.
0: Don't you forget it either.